As we've been going through the book of Mark, one of the main things that Jacob has been drawing our attention to is how Jesus shows himself greater and stronger than the challenges he and his disciples face. In chapter four, we see this great storm that put fear in the hearts of his disciples, but the greater Jesus shows his command even over the winds and the rain. So lesson to his disciples about trusting in him, even in situations that are dangerous. In chapter five, we see Jesus healing a demon possessed man who lived among the tombs. Mark tells us that no one could subdue him and day and night he would rip at himself until he met Jesus. And Jesus showed himself stronger than even spiritual principalities. In chapter six, he begins to empower his disciples to use this authority to go out and heal, cast out demons, and tell people to repent. All of these things were done so that they could see Jesus for who he really was. The the serving, suffering Savior, the very Son of God, and he was calling them to trust in him. This has been a timely and encouraging series of messages for our church. We're in the middle of a leadership uh, transition. We recently passed uh, a budget. And in that conversation, at that budget meeting, we talked about things that were, some things that were going well, maybe other things that weren't going so well. And, And this sermon is really birthed out of the devotion I led during that conversation. At the same time, the vision team has been meeting to discuss the vision for this church over the next season. What are, again, the things that we're doing well? What are the things that God is leading us to invest more in? What are the things that we want to see happen here? How can we be more fruitful for God? And so Philippians chapter 4 has some both encouragement and instructions for us on this very topic. Paul summarizes it in verse 19. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. That is the message that we need to cling to. That is the message that we need to trust in. So when I've come before you before, I've been in the book of Judges. So if you're wondering why, uh, you know, you're not hearing about Shagmar and Deborah this morning. This is why we're taking a, a brief stint to dive into Philippians because it's timely for our church. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi while he was actually in prison. Many believe uh, he was in prison in Rome. And the church in Philippi was one that he founded in the leading city of Macedonia. One of the th- main themes of this book is joy despite one's circumstances. Paul mentions being joyous over and over again. He's joyous in prayer, chapter 1, verse 4. He's joyous in proclaiming the gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. He's having joy in his suffering while he's in prison. And he describes this joy as being poured out in the service of the faith of the brothers 
and sisters that he's ministering to. And in chapter four, he rejoices in the church's giving. So before we dive into the text today, we already hear echoes of 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, which tells us to give not grudgingly because God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Again, if our prayer should be filled with joy and our suffering should be filled with joy, certainly our giving should follow suit. But while joy describes how we should give in chapters 4, verses 14 and tw- through 20, he answers a different question, which is what is the purpose and the impact of our giving? When we typically talk about giving, we often talk about how we should give and Maybe we even think about how much we should give. Should we give 10%? Should we give more? But what Paul is focusing on here is the impact. What Paul is focusing on is what happens when we give. What is the result of our giving? He even begins to answer the question, what is in it for us? Now, if you feel a little uncomfortable about asking that question, you're, you're not alone, so do I, but it's here in the Bible, and so we, we talk about it. And there's a popular heresy going around that, that states that God is like a cosmic ATM, where the more money you, you take your, your card there and you can just get out, you know, infinite amounts of cash. Or he's kind of like a slot machine, right? You put in a coin and maybe you'll hit it big and and get a a jackpot. But what we're going to see today is that our giving, what we receive from our giving, is not based on any of those things. What we receive is conformity with Christ. And that's greater than any financial gift. That's better than any blessing, any material blessing that we can imagine. And so we're going to look at this, at these scriptures in three headings. The first being the gift, important, but not primary. Again, the gift, important, but not primary. The fruit, God glorifying ministry. And finally, the prophet, Conformity with Christ. The first heading, the gift important, but not primary. In chapter four, as Paul begins to thank the church in Philippi for their financial gift that he received, he provides some context that helps us understand our giving. First, he wants them to know that how important their giving to his early ministry was. Chapter 4, verse 15, he reminds them that no other church had partnered with him when he began to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Imagine being a, a missionary or, or evangelist, and you, you plan on going out to a far-off land or even a local college campus, and you begin to solicit help, and no one responds except for one. Imagine the anxiety you might feel. Imagine even the doubt that you might begin to think, okay, God, you you called me to this, but I don't have support. Are you sure about this? 
Should I go? Perhaps you send out letters and make these, uh, these second appeals and again, no response. Paul was in a similar place. He clearly has a financial need. And because he would solicit, he began to face criticism that perhaps mainly what he cared about was money. Anybody thought of that as it pertains to church, right? Mainly what the church cares about is receiving money. This is so relevant to us today. As Christians that are involved in ministry, we know that money is a necessity and we ask for giving. But when we do that, we do open ourselves up to criticism that perhaps that's what we care about more. In preparing for this sermon, I even ran across an article, which is even telling in its title. It said, I would go to church, but all they want is money. Paul was not immune to this criticism. We are not. But he makes clear he is not primarily concerned about money. How does he show this? Well, he wants us to know that his primary source of strength is not financial gifts. It's not his needs being fulfilled, but it's the God who fulfills the need that he is relying on. He wants the church in Philippi to know that he not only does he he know that God is with him, but God is strengthening him. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So while he is lavish in his thankfulness and gratefulness for their gift, he's making it clear that he is trusting in an all-sufficient God. Paul is not ultimately trusting in the financial gift, but in the God who has sent it. He wants his partners to know that he's grateful for the gift, and his gift is their gift is important to the ministry, but his trust is ultimately in the work of the person who sent him. So whether he is free or bound or whether he has plenty or lack, God is with him. And that is his ultimate source of support. This should too be our prayer. What we want to do is rely on the strength of God and not just on the means of God. So yes, the gift is important, but it is not his primary source of strength. Paul also wants us to know that his primary focus is not on the gift. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is not primarily seeking money. A God-honoring church is not primarily seeking money. They're ultimately seeking fruit for God, which is our second heading. But before we go there, I want to give, leave us with three quick ways 
that this church shows that we primarily are not seeking the gift, but the fruit for God. First is our budget is, is transparent. Uh, one of the most uh, profound uh, reasons why I joined the church is when I went to an early members meeting, I was handed a budget. And t- to be honest, I, I felt a little uncomfortable. Uh, wasn't used to that, right? I'm like, okay, uh, you know, Mike hands me this paper, and I'm like, you, you may have given this to the wrong person. I, I don't come from a background where where you can clearly see where where money is going. But I, I later understood that part of the reason, part of the the way we show that we're not about money is we're transparent about where our money goes. So number two. Our worship service is 100% devoted to just that, uh, worship. So if those of you who are just uh, coming here for the first time, you may notice that we don't collect uh, an offering. Uh, That's not because we don't have a financial need, but we want to show that we are not trying to compel anyone uh, to give through manipulation or, or other means. We want our focus to be on the worship of the triune God. And so we, we do collect donations online. We have a, a box in the foyer, but it is not something that we make a part of our worship. Again, to show that the focus is not on the gift. The focus is on, on God. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, when our church has a need, and as Christians, when we have a need, We seek to meet it primarily and initially through prayer. When we go to God in prayer for our needs, we're showing, Lord, we need you more than anything else. Even when our needs are financial, even when our needs have some cost associated with it, going to God in prayer and and asking him and seeking his guidance again, shows that we need him more than the gift. So these are three ways that we show that financial gifts are not our focus. What we as a church really want to see is fruitful ministry. So the second heading, the fruit comes from God honoring ministry. So it's clear Paul is neither relying on financial gifts for his primary support, And he is also not primarily focused on gifts. He's relying on God for his strength, and he wants to honor God in the the work that he has called him to do. As we just heard this morning, Paul wants to see people saved. He wants to see souls redeemed. He wants to see God honored everywhere and in every aspect of these people's lives. And he's willing to suffer to do it. We as a church, we care about these things as well. We invited Shobin Blake this morning here to speak, mainly to hear how has God used you over these years since we began this partnership. I want to take some time to actually talk about our budget, but in a way that is absent of financial line items. You know, you can look at a budget and you see all types of things from, you know, copy paper and uh, health care. 
But what if we looked at our church's budget in terms of the fruit of the ministry? What we really gather here week in and week out to do. So first, our budget is primarily focused on preaching and teaching and shepherding the word of God. So if you want to think about what our budget mainly focuses on, it's to make sure that the word is consistently preached, taught, and counseled for those who are believing and for those who may not even know God. We have a pastor in a, in a quarter, <laughs> which is a kind of a funny thing to think about at the, mo- at the moment. But we feel Jacob and Cody are uniquely called to devote their lives to this work. Romans 1, in chapter 1 of Romans, the, Paul talks about how the gospel is the very power to save. And so our, the, the work that we gather to do is primarily focused on getting the gospel out. The good news of Christ. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He was punished for our sins. And his resurrection shows that God confirms that he is true and trustworthy and faithful. All the promises of God are yes in him. And he administers this new covenant. Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So Pastor Jacob and Pastor Cody primarily focus, their primary focus is to preach and teach what this means. How does this apply to your marriage? How does this apply to our careers? How does this apply when someone sins against us? The fact that we are now children of God. So week after week, we're we're taught the word of God. We're taught to put our trust in his promises in all these aspects of our lives and our singleness and our careers and our families. We learn uh, funny sounding Hebrew words like chesed, right? Forever his chesed, which we learned a few weeks ago, meaning God, God's love endures forever. This work bears fruit. It sanctifies our souls. It encourages us to continue in our walks. And it speaks life into those who are spiritually dead. But that's not all. We know that Christ is looking to build a family, uh, a, a family amongst all the families of the world. All the ethne, all the nations. So God wants us as a church to be part of this new creation. 
Not just by saving us, but by then equipping us to go out so that others who do not know him can know him. And so our church is heavily involved in this thing called missions. And if you talk to anyone long enough here, you'll find that missions is a very critical and essential part of our core values. When we say missions, we mean missions to unreached peoples. There are peoples, there are cultures that do not know God. We have a family working among the the Loam people, translating the Bible, helping them to get the Bible in their native tongue so that they too can know God. We have a family that had a nearly 16-year ministry in China helping orphan kids, uh, helping them be adopted, but more, more importantly, showing that the image of God is even imprinted on those with special needs, which is a profound idea uh, in that country. That God loves us and adopts us despite our deformities. We have a family in Central Asia they're not only seeking to reach unreached people, but for those of you maybe who have heard this term through perspectives, they're, they're seeking to reach unreached and even unengaged peoples. People that don't have any known Christians even near them. And so these are the fruits of both the, the local work and the nations that are sent out from, for our support. We have local ministries like Make, Make Welcome. Make Welcome. Uh, Beth and Julia have been such faithful stewards of that ministry. We are blessed to have that ministry as part of our church. What we find is not only can you go to the nations, but the nations come to you, right? You look around this city, there are many people who are not from this country, and they come here from places that don't know God. And so this is a ministry that supports vocational work, helping them to gain a skill and at the same time opening the door for Bible studies and fellowship with God. So when we talk about focusing on the fruit, that is what we care about. We care more about the work that God has called us to do. We care about the going out and seeing souls saved more than the financial gift. And that is on Paul's heart as well. With this focus on the fruit, it can make it hard to review and pass a budget as we, we found, right? So as a, if you think about a, a normal budget or even a company's budget, when you think about what to cut, you kind of have a list of, you know, necessities and luxuries, right? Things like bonuses or if in a personal family budget, like maybe Netflix. Or I joke, you know, maybe you tell your kids to skip a couple meals, right? You can't do that in a faithful God-honoring budget. So what do you cut? Do you cut those who are going out in the field, do you cut some of the work that is done locally? Do you cut the, the, the investment that we have in our kids so that they 
can know God? It is such a different question. And this is why we approach these things in prayer. We know that God cares about all of these things. He cares about every single ministry that he supports. He cares about every single person. He knows us all by name. So we've been praying for 12 families to join our church and 100 individuals to be impacted by our ministry, not for the gift, but for the fruit. And that should continue to be our prayer. Third and final heading, what is the prophet? The prophet is conformity to Christ. So what is in it for us when we give generously, when we give joyously, when we give to fruitful ministries that honor God? Again, one thing about reading God's word is it sometimes answers questions that you're afraid to ask, questions that maybe you don't even think to ask. And the question here is, okay, what's in it for me? He says, I'm not seeking the gift, but the fruit, the fruit of godly ministry that increases to your credit. Some translate this as increasing to your profit or increasing to your account. When we think about credit, we think about a bank account. Or some other type of account where you get some benefit for doing some action. We think about profit. We think about a business, right? And revenues being higher than costs result in a profit. And so here are these two competing images that Paul merges. He says, I care about the fruit that goes to your account. So you get this image of this tree with fruit for God. And then on the other hand, you kind of get this image of this accounting ledger. Is this the foundation, this is the biblical foundation of the prosperity gospel? And we respond with the resounding no. If you read this at first glance, you could twist it to make it say those things. But there are some important contexts here that show that God is not a transactional God. And Paul is not saying when you give, he's going to give you back like an investment in a 401k account. He calls these gifts pleasing to God. But a couple of things that we should note to let us know that this is not supporting the prosperity gospel is that first Paul is in prison. There is ever a a person that would be discredited for saying, hey, God is going to improve your situation. It would be the person in prison for the sake of the ministry saying, hey, give me money. God will make you like me. In addition to that, uh, Epaphroditus, the person he actually mentions, he becomes deathly ill. So, again, it blows away this health, wealth and prosperity. The prosperity gospel assumes that when you give, you get a positive benefit materially. Or even you can over-spiritualize it and say, hey, when I give, I get, I get joy, right? I give with joy, and when I give, God is obligated to give me joy. But what, we, what, we're, what, we, what we'll see is that actually 
God is asking us to give sacrificially. Sometimes when we give and when we do things that are honorable for God, things don't become better. They become worse. Look at chapter four, verse 14. He connects their giving to sharing in his suffering. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble, having fellowship in his trouble. Again, the prosperity gospel assumes a benefit. But when we give to needs, we should think of it as sharing in their trouble. We should think of it as making ourselves worse off so that someone else can be better off in the ministry of God. Jesus gives us a great illustration of this in Luke. He compares this gift from a widow, a poor widow, to the gift of the rich. The poor widow just gave two copper coins worth basically nothing. And he compared that to this larger gift from the rich. And he looks at these two things and he says, actually, the widow gave more. Because she gave out of her lack and not out of her abundance. God is pleased more with the widow who gave a little than the rich who gave a lot. Because she gave out of her lack She had less financially, but through her giving, she showed more of God. One of the reasons why I believe our giving, our joyous giving, our sacrificial giving is acceptable to God is because it conforms us to his character. It is is exactly what Jesus did, as we've heard in Uh, In this service, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Jesus was in heaven and he was rich. He had all power and all authority and all things. And what did he do? He gave it to the poor. He gave it to the needy. He gave his righteousness to us so that we can have the type of richness that he has. Namely, a relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. When we give sacrificially like this widow, we are conforming to the image of Christ. That's the prophet. That is what we gain, not necessarily monetary blessings, which are are great and we've all in this room have enjoyed. But the better blessing is Christ. The better blessing is conforming our image to his. God wants us to do, feel and act in conformity to his son. Our final verses have been helpful in this regard. We've been memorizing Philippians 3. 3 and 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
Conformity to Christ is the biggest gain that we can have in our lives. Do we believe this? Do we cherish this? Do we want to conform to Christ? Our conformity to Christ is the reason for our lives. Recall a few weeks ago, Will opened up worship with the very question of why doesn't Christ bring us to heaven once we're saved? Why is it that you become saved, you, you know Christ, but then you live the rest of your life? Well, one of the reasons is he wants to see fruit among us. He wants to see us conform to the image of his son, which he loves. He is also protecting us from the false wealth that the world can, can give us. Paul calls it rubbish. Paul calls it something that is not counted as worth anything. And so if you look on your on, on one hand, and you see conformity to Christ versus everything that c- the world can give you, at first glance, you may not even know what conformity to Christ is. And, and money and power and wealth might look very, very appealing. But Jesus lets us know that when our treasure is stored in heaven, it's protected. Moth cannot get it. Rust cannot get it. And more importantly, death cannot get it. Death is the great dispossessor of wealth, of fame, of health. Whatever circumstances we might gain on this side of heaven, death can take it away. But Christ says to us, fear not. I have overcome death. Store your treasures with me. I want to end this sermon with the final promise in this chapter. That God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ. This is why we shouldn't worry about the future of our church, whether it be financially or in terms of our vision. God will supply. He has been faithful in the past. And the good work that he started, he will continue to do. He will not abandon us. But the question for us is, do we want to conform to his image in our marriages, in our singleness, in our careers, in our giving? Do you want to value what he values? Do you want to love what he loves? Perhaps you've noticed that You haven't wanted that. Or you have at one time, but you've wandered away from it. God's answer to all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual lives at this moment, is come. I will supply all of your needs through Christ. Let's pray together.